You're listening to a Sunday sermon from Seven Mile Road Church in Melrose, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. To check out more about us, go to sevenmilemelrose.com. All right, have you ever noticed how wild it is that you can sit down in an airplane seat in one place and stand up from that same seat a few hours later somewhere thousands of miles away. Thousands of miles away. For example, you can sit in a seat in Boston and stand up from that same seat in San Diego six six hours later. 2,900 miles later. I know this doesn't seem that complex of a thought, but, but we just don't think about it all the time, right? It's wild because San Diego is far, right? It's not Worcester, right? It's far. It's, there's a lot of ways it's not Worcester, but, but it's not Worcester, right? And that, that San Diego trip should take several days driving a car or several weeks in a wagon train. Um, it's hard to visualize... See, that, that, was an, that was an 1883 joke for those of you. Um, that, anyway, all right, so it takes a long time in wagon trains to get places from what I hear. But it's hard to visualize how that distance can close that quickly, right? And how circumstances around you can change so quickly as that happens. Because a few hours later, just a few hours in that same seat, cold gets replaced by warm, Right? Drizzle gets replaced by sun. And traffic is replaced by, well, traffic. But but it's hard to imagine how something so far away becomes so near so quickly. What was far becomes near. The same thing happens with birthdays. Are there any kids in here who have a birthday that they're excited about? Yes, see? You're going to be getting another year older yeah, see there, bud. And it probably seems so far away to you right now, but soon, pretty much no matter who you are, in less than 364 days, your birthday is going to be here. And you're going to not only be a year older, you are going to be a year wiser. Big expectations for you guys, right? You're going to be a year wiser. And what seemed far right now is going to be near. It's going to be close then. And are there any adults, you can raise your hand, not hyped about celebrating your next birthday? Right, there we are, yes. That 30th or 40th or 50th, I'm going to stop there. But it's that number that once seemed so far away, but now it's near. But here's the thing. Think of all the wisdom you now possess, right? What was far was near, and I want to be the first to tell you happy birthday. You look great for your age. But what seemed far is near. So time and space can be weird in these ways because we think we understand the distance between where we are now and where we're going. But things can sneak up on us, right? The years can sneak up on us. Places can sneak up on us. And things that once seemed so far away and not tangible can now be right in front of our face, right before us. And that nearness can be jarring, can be jarring, right? There's the sudden, unexpected Nearness can cause us to respond relationally, physically, emotionally. That nearness can cause all kinds of responses. Well, last week, we heard Jesus foretelling of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. 
Um, if you were here, awesome. If you're not, it's the verses just in front of this, and you can go back and read that. You can hear this, listen to the sermon online. But um, we heard about the destruction of the temple that was coming in a prophecy about wars and persecution of Jesus' followers. And as he was preaching, Pastor Matt encouraged us to trust God's plan and to trust God's providence because God is in control. God is in control. No matter the certainty, the uncertainty, no matter the distress, God is so in control that even persecution of his people does not work. Right? Because God works through persecution to spread the gospel to other places and people. And so come what may, and Jesus told his hearers then, and he's telling us now, that the temple would fall under persecution. It would fall. And that persecution would come. Persecution for following him would come. And through it all, Jesus' disciples can and should stay committed to their faith. Because the life we live here and now is not our ultimate hope. Jesus is. And so today, thank you, today as we pick up in verse 20, we're hearing Jesus continue this foretelling. First, he's going to offer us even more clarity around the fall of Jerusalem, what the fall of the temple is going to look like. And after that, he tells us about the second coming. So if you've got your Bibles or your app, you can uh, open that up to, to verse 20 in Luke chapter 21. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against his people this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. As we hear Jesus' words, one of the first things we probably wonder is, and a question we definitely need to answer is, why is Jesus saying that his hearers will see Jerusalem surrounded by enemies? See, this language would be shocking, I would think, for pretty much any city. But even more so, once we step back and realize that Jesus is talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This is the city that God dwelt in. Right? God lived there amongst his people. No city was more grand, more majestic, or beautiful than Jerusalem. When God was there. Yet despite this blessing of God's presence and the glory of it all, Jerusalem and her leaders had rebelled against him and rejected God. Not once, not twice, but over and over and over for centuries. God had made a covenant with his people way back before, promising blessing where they were obedient and judgment where they were rebellious. And God had mercifully sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn his people to turn from the rebellion and sin. God had given space for repentance to happen. 
given space for his people to return to him, but they refused over and over. And as a result, his people, five, six hundred years before where Jesus is talking, his people had actually been carried away into captivity as judgment for their rebellion. But God had brought them back to Jerusalem. And the leaders continued to set up laws and rules and idols and persisted in their rejection of God and his purpose for his people. And God had warned and warned, but the long-promised judgment was now coming after they'd rejected the Lord Jesus. See, their unfaithfulness to God had led to judgment that the city would collapse, that the temple will fall, and Jesus is making clear with his words that no one should be surprised. See, Jesus says that this judgment will be terrible and that armies will surround Jerusalem and people should flee. In verse 21, he says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. See, fleeing from danger only makes sense. That's what people do, right? Um, escape impending doom and danger. That's a, that's a thing that you want to aim for, right? Londoners with means in World War II would flee for the country when the German Air Force was bombing the city. The general rule, even for daredevils and thrill seekers is that you don't just sit around and wait for armies to encircle you. You don't do it. You head for the hills, and if you're in the hills, what do you do? You look for higher ones, right? You run for higher ones. Jesus is warning his hearers because the days of judgment for their rebellion that have seemed so far away, so far away, are now near. They're now close. What was far is now near. Judgment for their sin that always seems so distant and far away and maybe even just a concept in their minds is now here. And he tells us this in verse 22 when he says, for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. See, this nation had been unfaithful to God, as I had said before, and, and, and God is now fulfilling his covenant promise to them. Hear these words from Leviticus 26. This is way back, way back. But you can hear this warning even back then. Hundreds of years before, God tells them, this is what will happen should you reject me. I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. Or later on, this is from, this is from Zechariah chapter 11, he says, for I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord, because I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king. And they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. Or we could hear it in Jesus' own words, just a few chapters before this. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, he and his disciples are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So for anyone paying attention, for anyone paying attention, uh, God had made promises And God had been patient 
And God had been kind. And God had been merciful. And God had been long-suffering with his people. And they'd rejected him as king. They had rejected him as king. Though God had been merciful and kind and loving, his people rejected his wisdom and his care and his protection repeatedly. They had abandoned the beautiful inheritance that God had bestowed on them and chosen to go their own way for hundreds of years. And the pride and the arrogance that fueled the rejection of God's wisdom, care, and protection is the same kind of pride and arrogance that drove disbelief in his judgment coming to fruition. See, the the pride, I'm going to say it again, the pride and arrogance that fueled their rejection of God is the same kind of pride and arrogance that drove a disbelief in his judgment coming to fruition. Basically, what, the same thing that made them think we don't need to listen to you is the same thing that made them think you're not going to do anything about it. This is the same kind of pride and arrogance that make them and us believe that even if this judgment is real, and that's a big if, for the prideful heart, it's a big if. Even if this judgment is real, even if God's judgment is real, this judgment is far off. It's far away. And we think we'll figure it out. We'll think it's a long time from now and we'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. God's judgment is a long way off, we think. So we'll take care of it. It doesn't have to be a thing. But Jesus makes plain that judgment for sin, judgment for breaking covenant with him is real and it's not far off. It's not. Verse 23, alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against his people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. See, God's promises are big and rich and real. God's promises are beautiful when we're receiving blessing. And they're terrible for those who rebel against him and who reject him. See, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles because of the unfaithfulness to their covenant with God. Disobedience has once again led the nations. I told you it happened five, six hundred years before this. Disobedience has once again led the nations to being a tool of judgment against Israel. And this time, Jerusalem would never be the same. What once seemed so far away is now so near to them. The judgment that once seemed so far off, it came near. And Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. And it was never the same again. Let's notice, though, that as Jesus continues in verse 25, he shifts from discussing the destruction of, the, of Jerusalem and the temple to speaking of something else. He switches to speaking of his own coming a second time. 
And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity, because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on in the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud, in a cloud, with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your head, because your redemption is drawing near. As Jesus describes the end times, we once again see that what was once so far off will come near, right? What was far will come near. He uses imagery of the Old Testament, from the Old Testament, that helps us understand what's going on. Here's, here's one example. There's a bunch of them, but here's one example from Isaiah. He says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. As the promises of God are fulfilled, the sun and the moon and the stars will stop shining. And it will freak people out. That's a theological term, freak out. Um, See, the sea and the waves will roar and confusion will take over as these cosmic and natural signs of the apocalypse overwhelm those that have rejected God. The judgment that seems so far off that it didn't matter will come near and everyone will know because of how the earth will react. And so as a result, Luke tells us here in verse 26 that people will faint with fear. They'll faint. There will be such confusion and such fear that people will lose heart in such a manner that they'll faint. The heavens will shake signaling God's judgment. And all will know that what seems so far off is now near. All will know as the heavens tremble and the earth reels that judgment is not only near, it's, it's here. In verse 27, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with, a power, with power and great glory. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The Son of Man, Jesus, will return as King. Jesus will return as King. Jesus will return with heavenly authority. King Jesus will come riding on a cloud, which is important for at least two reasons. The first one is because riding on a cloud seems really cool. Like, really cool. Secondly, riding on the cloud, on a cloud, only happens in the Bible for those with God's authority. Right? Like, everybody doesn't do that. There's no app for that. Right? So all questions of Jesus' authority, from religious leaders to political leaders to non-leaders, to anyone, anywhere. All questions of Jesus' authority will go away when he comes riding on a cloud with power and great glory. There will be no question 
Jesus is king. Jesus is king. It's the first thing we need to see here. The clarity that Jesus is king will only further, will only increase the fear, the confusion, and the fainting of those who've spent their days opposing him. For those who reject God, Jesus' return will be shaking. Everything about them, it will be terrible. For those whose sin is not covered by the blood, his blood, it will be terrifying because sin will be dealt with on his return. Every eye will see that he is king. And Jesus has promised to put away all sin and death and and pain, and he will do so. And the judgment that seems so far away will be near. But while Jesus' return is terrifying news for those who rebel, while it's terrifying for those who reject him, while it's terrifying for those who refuse him as king, it's important we see also that Jesus doesn't stop here. He explains that judgment is not the only thing coming near. There's good news here too, and that's why he, he says this in verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. While the world is shaking, while rebels to the king are fainting, Jesus says that his disciples, you and me, all who trust in him should straighten up, should raise our heads. We should straighten up and raise our heads, Jesus says. Really? What sense does that make? Raise our heads. You would think that we too should be fearful that we too should be fainting, that, that we, sh- we too should be shaking. But Jesus tells his followers, he tells his disciples, he tells all who believe on his name, that when the sun and the moon and the stars turn off, and when the seas roar and the waves are getting insane, and when he's returning to judge, and it's terrifying because the judgment that always seems so far off is happening, and people around us are fainting in fear, and hearts are stopping because it's scary, that his people shouldn't fear. That's what he says. His people shouldn't fear. We should not fear. Because it's not only that judgment has come near. It's that redemption that seemed so far off has come near too. Redemption is near. Redemption is near. When Jesus comes riding on the cloud, redemption will be here. So Jesus says, straighten up and raise your heads. Don't head for the hills. Don't run for the mountains. Don't duck down. Don't hide your face. Of course there are things before you that you know you can't overcome on your own. You know you couldn't overcome judgment on your own. Me too. To stand before Jesus and account for my sins on my own doesn't end well. And of course, everyone's terrified. Yet the sin that you couldn't confront on your own, the sin that I couldn't confront on my own, Jesus has taken care of. 
This goes for the end of time, and it goes for this time, right now, on this Sunday morning. Jesus looks at his people. He looks at you, who he died for, who he died for. He looks at you, and he looks at me, who he died for. And he says, lift your head. Lift your head. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to hide. You don't have to run. You don't have to fear. No matter what you've done, Jesus has covered you with his blood. By faith, you're an approved child of God, and he's coming back to get you. Redemption is near. Lift your head. Redemption is near. Fear is illogical. Running is ridiculous because redemption is near. So we can rejoice. You don't have to run from God. You don't have to flee from God. And even more, you don't have to cover up or muscle up and try to overcome judgment on your own. For hundreds of years, the religious leaders in Jerusalem tried to muscle up to sin, issuing rule after rule that grew pride, all the while rejecting the mercy and grace of God. And it didn't work then. It led to Jerusalem's destruction. And for Jesus' people, it, it won't work now because we don't need to muscle up. We don't just need to do better. We do not cower in fear. We rest in Jesus' work on the cross for us. We rest in Jesus' victory. We lift our heads. We lift our heads. We look to Jesus, who's victorious over Satan and sin and death, and will return to put away and to put all that away forever. We look to Jesus who vindicates his people on his return. We look to Jesus who strengthens his people. We look to Jesus who redeems his people. See, King Jesus has not left us in our sin, and he has not left us to judgment. By God's grace, by the Spirit's move, the light has shone into darkness, and God has awakened our hearts to our condition. And by God's grace, we do not fear when all around our souls give way. Instead, we lift up our heads when he come ride, comes riding on the cloud. Not because we're good, but because we've been washed clean by his blood. The blood of Jesus covers every sin and the judgment we deserve he took on the cross. So now we lift our heads to our king. Seven Mile Road, redemption is near. Redemption is near. And it's yours in Jesus. It's mine in Jesus. Redemption is near and for all who trust in him for salvation. So let's lift our heads. Will you pray with me?